0: and welcome to the Trican Wealth Service second quarter 2021 earnings results conference call and webcast. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Brad Fedora, President and Chief Executive Officer of Trican Wealth Service Limited. Please go ahead, Mr. Fedora.
1: Thank you. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank you for attending the Trican Wealth Service Q2 conference call. Uh, a brief outline of how we intend to conduct the calls. First, Scott Madsen, our Chief Financial Officer, will give an overview of the quarterly results. And then I will address issues pertaining to current operating conditions and near-term outlook. And then we'll open the call for questions. Uh, with me, with me and Scott is Todd Tui, our Chief Operating Officer. So the, there is people in this room available to answer basically any question that comes up. Um, before I turn over the call, I'd like to refer you to our website com and on that you will find a legal disclaimer that talks to, talk to uh, forward-looking, any forward looking statements. So now I'd like to turn the call over to Scott to provide an overview on the financial
2: results. Sure, thanks, Brad, and good morning, everyone. Um, as Brad noted, I'd like to point out that this conference call may contain statements and other information based on current expectation or results for the company. Certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing conclusions or making a projection as reflected in the forward-looking information section of our Q2 2021 MD&A. A number of business risks and uncertainties could cause actual results to differ materially from these forward-looking statements and financial outlook. Some of these risks and uncertainties may be further amplified due to the ongoing effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. So please refer to our 2021 annual information form and the business risks section of our MD&A for the quarter end of June 30th of 2021 for a more complete description of the business risks and uncertainties facing TRICAN. This call will refer to several common industry terms, and we will use certain non-GAAP measures which are more fully described in our quarterly MD&A. As you know, our quarterly results were released after close of markets yesterday, July 27th, and are also available on CDAR. Uh, so with that, most of my comments will draw comparisons to the second quarter of the prior year, but also provide some commentary with respect to sequential results uh, from Q1. So Q2 is, as you know, it's typically our most challenging quarter due to the effects of spring breakup, but momentum from a strong first quarter definitely carried over into the second quarter, with robust commodity pricing driving the rig count and our activity higher than maybe we expected as well. Revenue for the quarter was 93.7 million, down sequentially from Q1 levels due to the seasonal effects of spring breakup, but up significantly from the 28.4 million that we saw in Q2 of 2020. WTI averaged just over $66 a barrel during the quarter, sequentially up from an average of about $58 a barrel through Q1 of 2021, but up dramatically from an average of $28 a barrel in Q2 of 2020. ACO gas pricing averaged about 294 in MCF for the quarter, consistent with Q1, but again quite a bit stronger than the buck 90 MCF we saw in Q2 of last year. So strong commodity prices resulted in an average Western and rig count of about 84 during the quarter, again down sequentially from Q1 as we would expect, but up significantly compared to an average of 23 rigs running in Q2 of last year. So the rate kind of accelerated as we moved through June and has continued to climb as we move into Q3. So those factors led to activity levels that were significantly higher than the same quarter of last year across all of our service lines. Higher activity, continuing improvements in the efficiency of our operations, and a strong focus on profitability, including the structural fixed cost improvements made over the last year, led to significant improvements in all key financial categories as compared to Q2 of last year. Fracturing operations were down sequentially from Q1 2021, as expected, but were significantly busier than the same quarter of last year. Profit pumped was down 22% as compared to Q1 of 2021, but up more than 400% as compared to Q2 of 2020. We maintained six fracturing crews through the period, with utilization increasing as we exited the quarter. Operations were heavily focused on pad-based locations, which helps minimize both downtime between jobs and travel time and improve efficiencies. Fractured margins remained healthy through the quarter and were a significant factor in the financial performance of the company during the second quarter. We were also pleased with the financial performance of our cementing and coil tubing service lines. Cementing activity for the quarter was robust, dipping with the rig count, but anchored by high levels of abandonment work. Coil tubing activity was also quite strong with steady utilization from a number of key clients. Cost inflation is certainly starting to creep into the business and will be a factor in coming quarters. Uh, disciplined supply chain management and a continued focus on cost control through the quarter preserved margins, helping minimize the impact of spring breakup, uh, which drove lower sequential revenues. Adjusted EBITDA came in at $14.2 million, a significant improvement over Q2 of 2020 levels. Um, and I would note that our adjusted EBITDA calculation does not add back cash and settled stock comp expense which was about $2 million in the second quarter. This expense fluctuates with the company's movement in share price, which saw an appreciation of just under 30% over the last three or four months. It also includes expenditures related to fluid end replacements of $2 million as the work expense for the period. And finally, I would note that the Canadian emergency wage and rent subsidy programs positively affected EBITDA by $6.1 million during the quarter. So on a consolidated basis, we generated an overall loss in continuing operations of 8.4 million in the quarter or about 3 cents a share. Um, A bit of a step down from our Q1 2020 results as we expected, but it's a significant improvement over the loss of 27.5 million or 10 cents a share we incurred in Q2 of 2021. Cash flow from operations was 43 million for the quarter as a result of strong operational performance and the release of working capital that is typical as we move through this part of the year. Operating cash flows and proceeds from the disposition of some non-core assets were more than sufficient to fund our capital expenditures of about 10.2 million, split between capitalized maintenance and our ongoing capital projects. The company's full year 2021 capital budget remains at approximately 40 million, with roughly 50% allocated to sustaining and infrastructure capital and 50% allocated to growth capital, which includes our previously announced program to upgrade conventionally powered diesel pumpers with cap CAT Tier 4 dynamic gas blending engines. These engines can displace up to 85% of the diesel fuel required with cleaner-burning natural gas, thereby reducing carbon dioxide and particulate matter emissions. And that this is a significant upgrade and a key part of end's individual ESG commitment and a prime way of supporting our key customers in meeting their ESG goals as well. So we exited the quarter with $58.9 million in cash, and cash equivalents, positive non-cash working capital of approximately $42 million and no drawn bank debt. And finally, with respect to our NCID program, we continue to view share repurchases as a good long-term investment opportunity for a portion of our capital. And we've been active in the market of late, and will continue to remain active in the program going forward. So with that, I'll turn things back over to Brad, who will provide some further comments on our operating conditions and our strategic outlook going forward.
1: Okay, thanks, Scott. I think uh, Scott provided a very thorough summary of the quarter, and so I'll keep most of my comments to the market in general and what we're seeing in the the market today here as we work our way through Q3. And most of my comments will include all three business divisions. Fracturing does represent about 70% of our revenue, but... Everything that I'm going to say is probably going to apply to fracturing, cementing, and coil um, tubing—the three operating divisions that we currently have. So we had a great, we had a great quarter. Um, This Q2 was was much better than past Q2s. It's a very refreshing change to have, you know, EBITDA of uh, about sixteen and a half million, adjusted EBITDA of just over fourteen million, and free cash flow. Um, So now we've been free cash flow positive. In both q one and q two of this year that's uh, certainly uh, from a competitive perspective we're, we're doing quite well and as Scott did mention too you know we do expense a lot of things that are particularly fluid ends that are capitalized by certain companies in our industry and so I encourage you to provide some diligence to to the income statement um, with respect to expenses versus capitalized items the Q2 is was much more active uh, than past quarters. You know, I think we did a really good job aligning ourselves with the right customers late last year and early this year to ensure that we did have a busy Q2. Um, you know, we did have our usual interruptions that we always get from weather and, and various logistics issues, but you know, generally I think the quarter went went fairly smooth. We did have some work push into July, but that's fine. Um, you know, you can never you can never plan perfectly. We had a lot of large pad work that that enabled us to operate efficiently throughout the quarter. And of course, you know we had a much better rig count this year than last year. You know we we had a, I think we averaged 81 rigs throughout the quarter, peaked at just under 140 in June. You know we currently sit at just over 150. And so, you know the quarter was um, was busy. There was, uh, our customers are doing a better job of. Of, smooth, of smoothing out the work uh, throughout the year and just sort of level loading throughout the year to ensure that, you know, you don't have this big shutdown and, and break up like we have in past years, and we hope that continues in, in future years. Um, so, you know, what happened with pricing? You know, I've made a lot of comments on price um, starting, I think, two conference calls ago. I had mentioned that we are targeting a 10% price increase. And unfortunately... Um, We were not able to achieve that. Uh, Believe it or not, even though we were trying to push pricing higher, we got absolutely no support from our competitors. And in fact, some of them are even reducing pricing, which is just astonishing. Um, You know, I think some of that mania has has stopped. There's a lot of positioning happening in Q2. And with the reduction in pricing, you know, trying to gain market share, and of course that never works, Um, you know, you just sort of end up shuffling customers around and market share never really changes. And so, you know, we hope they've come to their senses on pricing. Um, We're certainly not operating at economic levels, our industry as a whole. You know, we are free cash flow positive, uh, even though some of our competitors are not. So the industry as a whole, obviously, um, is not economic, and we expect that pricing will slowly but surely go up from here. Um, you know we didn't get our ten percent target. We did get modest gains in our in our pricing, and I think for the most part, our customers understand that pricing has to go up. um I just wish our competitors would understand that um e m p cash flows are at record high almost historically you know uh, free cash flow and, and just cash flows in general from our customers have quadrupled um you know when you look at what it looked look like, you know six nine months ago and so you know, we're very focused on getting pricing at a level that allows us to achieve a positive return on invested capital so that we have a sustaining and growing business that allows us to provide, you know, state-of-the-art services to our customer base. So we will, you know, I'll commit to, you know, we'll continue to focus on this and try to get our, our pricing up. And, uh, you know, we just need a little bit of cooperation from our competitors. You know, we're, we did operate six scrap crews, about 15 cement crews, and six coil crews, and uh, we're happy with those levels. We're focused very much on the sort of Red Deer North, which would include the Montney and the Deep Basin. I think almost 90% of our revenue comes from from those areas. And with improved gas prices, you know, we expect that the Montney and the Deep Basin will continue to get busier and more active, and and certainly pressure pumping. Um, is a core service as these plays get developed, um, and so you know we don't expect that our our focus will change. We still expect that our gas and liquid-rich gas will represent over 70% of our of our work and our revenue. And and uh, you know now that oil prices are above $70, we expect to be more active in oil, and and we expect that'll be sort of 20 to 30% of our revenue. Um, we our customers did pump a lot of their own sand, which. You know, is a growing trend um, that you know we expect to we expect to continue, uh, and that's fine. Um, It helps with logistics, and from a working capital perspective, it's we just have to ensure that the prices that are charged for the equipment only, and you know our our services that don't include sand are appropriate. That we can we now that we're not getting a margin on the sand, we have to make make that up on the equipment side. Um, We continue to see our customers focus on getting more sand placed per well and certainly placed per meter. And so, you know, we've been asked this for, for years, you know, where are we with respect to the frack industry as a whole? You know, are we in the fifth inning, the seventh inning? Well, you know, we're not really sure. It feels like we've been stuck in the seventh inning now for five years. So, um, you know, certainly, I think as everybody understands, you, you you cannot get oil and natural gas to flow without, without a frack. The more effective the frack, the more economic the wells become for our customers and the quicker they pay out. So we're always looking at uh, ways to, you know, improve how we place sand and to make it more effective, of course, to get better flow out of these very tight reservoirs. We've continued to focus on cost. This is something that we'll never stop doing you know, this was started a few years ago to really change the cost structure of this organization and, and certainly we've continued that over the last year and we will continue that going forward. And I think it's important to note that even though we've had a massive reduction in costs, we're still um, positioned to have a large increase in revenue and crew count without an increase in any of our fixed or G&A costs. And so we're at a really nice place where as, as revenue continues to go up, as the industry gets busier, you know, our fixed costs will not go up. Um, and so we will we'll benefit from all that operating leverage um, on a very, you know, on a on a fixed system. And, you know, that's one of the attractive things about the pressure pumping industry is as things get busier, the cash flows and the and the earnings grow very quickly. Um, the, the outlook for the second half continues to get better. You know, e and cash flows, like I was saying, are at, at, at our record highs. I think, you know, they've, they've spent a lot of money on, on debt repayments, and they're focused on dividends, and they're focused, our customers are focused on generating returns, and that's all incredibly positive, you know, to make this industry healthier, I think we all have to have real businesses, and so it, the, the growth the growth and spending feels very thoughtful, very measured by our customers, and so they, we think we're actually going to have a very sort of nicely controlled growth over the next few years, but are very optimistic about the uh, about the rest of this year and next year. We've had a really good start to Q3 with customers taking advantage of commodity prices and drilling efficiencies and fracturing efficiencies. We expect that to continue. Um, you know, we don't have a ton of visibility beyond the fall, but certainly on a daily basis almost now, when we're talking to our customers, everybody is sort of slowly but surely increasing Um, their well count for the remainder of this year, and we're starting to get a feel for Q1 of next year. And it, it, you know, we're very optimistic. It feels like it's going to be very busy. You know, it's important to note, to take time to note here that there's about 1.8 million total horsepower in Canada, um, owned by all the various pressure pumping companies. There's about 1.2 million of that is active today. So there's, you know, roughly 600,000 horsepower spare fair capacity to put to work as the industry heats up. And I think I want to stress that Trican owns about half of that. So it's really important to note that as this industry gets busier, you know, we effectively have captured half the upside. Um, And, of course, we, we have a very healthy balance sheet. In fact, we have cash on our books, and so we can afford to activate that equipment without any issues. And we can continue to invest in, in uh, new technologies like these tier four engines that we've press released a few months ago um, you know where where does pricing go from here i I, I mentioned it briefly, but I, I do I do feel like you know we are in discussions with with our customers, and we expect to have maybe another price adjustment in the next sort of sixty days. Uh, fuel margins are still very skinny. And in order to generate returns, um, you know, we do need to focus on getting prices up in all of our divisions. Um, our focus remains on passing through any inflation that we receive. You know, we have had inflation on diesel, steel costs. We're starting to see it in sand. And, of course, as diesel costs go up, the entire logistics chain, you know, the the, the cost of that, of operating that, whether it's rail or trucking, they go up as well. So we're starting to see inflation and, and I, when I do talk about price increases, I do, talk, I do mean net price increases. So we expect to pass on any inflation that we're receiving to our customers directly. Um, you know, I don't. I think our crew size, whether it's fracking uh, or coil, you know, we always want to grow those, of course, um, because that's their, our most profitable way to grow. I think we're comfortable with where we're at with six fracturing crews. We are adding our seventh fracturing crew this fall, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. With respect to investments in technology, on the people side, you know this, as always happens every time the oil field heats up, it's it's people are always the issue. Um, this seems to be worse than prior cycles, I would say, and something that I have probably underestimated even as, as, as recent as six months ago. You know, it's been we've done so much damage to the people for the last seven years that we're finding that as we're all trying to crew up, whether it's us or our competitors. The people issues is is going to be a significant one that's not going to be that easily overcome, and so you know that's also a positive. It will control the it will control the growth and the amount of crew re- reactivations that the industry provides, and, and it should make for a very tight market uh, going forward for the rest of the, this year and, and into next year. You know, the supply chain in in general, um, we're constantly trying to manage that and. And as we've talked about before, if you get the logistics right, uh, that can really drive profitability. Um, So we're always looking for different ways to run our business and manage our costs. I think we've done a really good job of getting efficiencies in our operating system and our our logistics value chain. And, you know, as we look at more technological advances, you know, this should only improve. And as the industry gets busier, you know, we'll keep our costs stable and, and get more efficient, it should only mean that much more profitability going forward. On the technology side, um, we are very focused on the equipment at this stage, you know, whether it's tier four natural gas engines that burn natural gas instead of diesel, which provide lower emissions and lower costs, um, or or idle reduction technology, you know, we've we've sort of had five to seven years where there hasn't been a lot of investment in the equipment, um, just given you know given the bear market that we've endured. And so most of our, when we think about our, our technological in- investments, it's, it's, of course, IT to manage everything that we're doing in real time, but it's really to take this equipment to the next level. And as ESG becomes more and more of a focus for our customers, you know, the E side of, or the E part of the ESG, of course, is is talking about emissions reductions, um, reduced fresh water consumption, you know, all of the things that we can provide solutions to. And so when we make investments into our equipment, and whether it's, you know, tier four engines or idle, idle reduction technology, this is all, you know, great, a, a great um, help in getting emissions to to reduce levels, you know, compared to uh, historical levels. Um you know, on the S and the G side, of course, um, we've continued to focus on this, whether it's relationships with First Nations or or um, getting a more diverse employee and board mix. You know, we're not just focused on the E. We are we are looking at all other at the other parts of the ESG as well. And I think we've been quite successful. Um, we're currently engaged in various initiatives to advance the the F section of this. And whether it's it's through relationships in the communities with the indigenous peoples, um, our our inclusion and diversity strategy, um, I think we've all done we've all we've made great advances on uh, on our ESG strategy as a whole. Um, Just before I wrap up, I'll talk about sort of uh, the capital program. We have announced that we will be spending about 40 million dollars, and that includes about half of that is for our Tier 4 fleet, which will come to the market in October. Um, the other half of that capital program is for basically ongoing you know maintenance capital, which you would expect on an annual basis you know from a growth perspective um and a, or from an acquisition perspective we're we're still very focused on just getting our existing business operating efficiently, you know getting equipment off the fence and into the field if there's opportunities there you know we're fortunate enough to be able to afford any any equipment activations or any rebuilds or or upgrades that may need to be done um, and that's always your best return on investment um, before you start to look at acquisitions or other growth opportunities so we feel like we're just going to stay very focused on our core businesses in all three divisions and making sure that we can keep up with with the increases in, in the capital programs that we're seeing from our customers on the NCID side you know Scott had said that we've been active um, throughout the year it actually you know even though we've been active it's been sort of frustrating for us feels like we we've, we've kind of chased the stock up and we haven't been as active as we would have liked and it probably won't change a lot uh for the remainder of the year so you know all I can say is that you know we we see that as a good investment and uh we'll we'll buy as much we'll buy as much um as we can in the market you know given that our pricing and volume parameters that um that we're dealing with uh I'll turn the call over for questions um Thanks for that. For the first
0: question comes from Erin McNeil with TD Securities. Please go ahead.
3: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over two million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com/wondersuite. That's bluehost.com/wondersuite.
4: Hey, morning, all. Thanks for taking my questions, uh, Brad. On your comments on pricing and the potential for reactivations, do you think there's any nuance, you know, in how your customers are be or your competitors sorry are behaving in terms of like how they're pricing stuff that's you know warm and needs to get out versus you know bringing something off the fence, and are you worried that you know your competitors may seek lower return expectations to bring bring equipment off the fence versus what you want to do that for?
1: I would give up trying to figure out how to view the business. So I didn't have to ask them that. Today. The pricing behavior in the last four months is shocking, to say the least.
4: Maybe a, a better question is on the you know any in incremental Tier Four mm-hmm. uh, dynamic gas blending engine conversions. So specifically, are you in the late stages of engaging with one or more customers on? an incremental frack spread? If so, you know, is pricing the hang-up, is contract duration the hang-up? And, you know, how how much of this would you do? Would you be self-governing on how much you'd spend? Yeah. So,
1: we made that investment in the Tier 4 engine. It's about a $20 million upgrade to our existing equipment, and so we're not adding horsepower to our fleet or to the fleet in Canada as a whole, Um, but it is a significant investment, and so we obviously would never have done that at pricing that we were seeing at Q1 or certainly Q2, Um, and, you know, we're fortunate. We've we've got good customers that understand they can't have the -the state-of-the-art equipment that requires a big capital investment. At pricing that you know you saw through COVID, and so you know naturally we would never make any more of these investments. So we didn't we didn't invest in the first fleet at exist at current market pricing. It was at a premium, and we wouldn't we wouldn't we would continue to sort of evaluate our returns on any future or any further fleets that could be upgraded with Tier 4 technology. But certainly, we would never sell the equipment for the same price as, you know, diesel-powered frack gear or, you know, frac gear that's been has a natural gas conversion kit that only, you know, only displaces 50%. You know, you've effectively got three tiers of equipment now, and you know we will have the discipline to to make sure that you know that third tier or the or the natural, you know, these tier four. DVG engines are getting premium pricing Um, that's I think should be obvious and I hope our our competitors are thinking the same but you know to your last point is pricing the issue with getting this gear contracted of course right I mean everybody naturally wants more for less our customers are no different Um, and the problem is this industry is quick to give people more for less um, on a regular basis. And so, you know, we're hoping there's discipline going forward on on any capital that's put into equipment. Um, but certainly, what, regardless of what our competitors are doing or not, we will not be investing in any more Tier 4 technology um, without a clear pathway to, you know, a, a, a good return for our own shareholders. You know, it's very... It's a very efficient equipment for our customers. It's a big cost reduction from a fuel perspective. It lowers their emissions, helping them get their achieve their ESG targets. So naturally we're not, you know, we're not giving that away for the same price that we would put, you know, ten year old, you know, two generation old equipment to work for. So um that price, you know, given the given the large uh, portion of the overall ticket that fracking represents, you know, pricing is always an issue. Maybe
4: I'll just ask one more. Um, Again, okay, maybe I was reading too much into the, the outlook commentary, but it kind of sounded like you were close on a on an incremental. We're thing, you know
1: that we trialed the tier four engine with multiple customers, and it was very well received. You know everybody would like would like more of that equipment. Um, you know because we still only have the one pump with tier four tier four technology. You know obviously our 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 crew number seven or our low emission spread number one is in construction, but it was very well received by everybody. So we're in lots of discussions with lots of customers about getting more of this equipment. Um, but again they won't be getting it unless they're prepared
4: to pay a little bit more for it. Understood. A couple housekeeping questions on cost inflation. First one, um, are you starting to stockpile critical components like fluid ends and then on the labor side, have you communicated any expectations to your customers about potential pay increases to retain your staff?
1: Yeah, we monitor our parts inventory closely and we work with our suppliers sort of daily to ensure that we're not going to have any supply or parts interruptions um, you know we don't typically discuss the nitty-gritty of labor costs with our customers but you know they're, they're they you know they, they you know they're all, they're all local and incredibly sophisticated right they understand that that, that Given the sort of the pinch in labor, as we try to scale up this industry as a whole, we're going to have labor issues, and that, of course, is going to mean inflation and somebody has to pay for it. Um, So, you know, those those conversations,
5: I think, are fairly obvious. Okay. That's all for me. Thanks, Greg. I'll turn it over.
0: The next question comes from Andrew Bradford with Wayne and Jane. Please go ahead.
5: Yeah, thanks. So I, I do want to just pick up on Aaron's line of question on the tier four crew you have coming out. And so just to be clear, like you know, with appreciation, you you know, you you tried the original pump with uh, with a number of different would be customers for the equipment. But uh, like, like, are, are you perceiving that there's uh, from there's any you have you, you have any competition? On, um, on say the net, you know the basin's second tier four spread, or is it still very much a a tri show?
1: Uh, we we would expect that we're better positioned than most to bring a second low emission fleet to Canada.
5: Okay, okay, uh, so. Um, if we play pretend and say, you know, the next customer stepped up and said, "Yeah, I understand that you know we need to give you some term and, and uh, pricing that allows to recoup some a reasonable return on the incremental capital," um, and that all happened tomorrow, what uh, what kind of lead times would we be looking at? Um. <coughs> well, six months. So by the end of, uh, pardon me, by mid, uh, by mid winter then? Yeah. But, yeah, hypothetically. Okay. All right. Um, you know, I think, uh, Aaron did a good job with all the other questions. So we will visit that. now. thanks. Thanks, Heather.
0: The next question comes from Wakar Said with ETB Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
6: Thank you. Thanks for taking my question. Um, Brad, just broadly, you know, we're seeing rate count likely higher than Q1. Uh, Do you think uh, that your revenues uh, are likely to be higher than Q1 and similarly EBITDA in Q3? Yes.
7: You
1: know, unless, if, if activity continues in August and September like it has in July, and we don't have some crazy, Inflation that you know we just don't foresee at this stage. I would expect both revenue and EBITDA to be at least as high as Q1.
6: Okay. Then uh, just uh, another uh, kind of broader question: uh, Could you maybe really talk about industry uh, pumping supply demand uh, currently, uh, and where do you think uh, that ends up by the end of the year? So,
1: with 150 or so rigs running, between 150 and 160 rigs running in Canada, that basically consumes all of the frack gear that's active today. So, there's, out of the 1.2 million horsepower, you know, I would expect that all of that is effectively 100% utilized. You know, there's always little gaps here and there for for our, ourselves or our competitors, but that's not that's not significant um so i think anything that's crude today is active and so as this year unfolds um you know i do expect that customer programs are going to expand and they're going like i said they're going to be modest and measured and it's you know it's all going to be very thoughtful spending um but you know given that we've got gas prices where they are and oil prices where they are i mean the tales the pails on the or you know, the half-cycle economics on these wells—they're they're huge. Right? These are—you know—this is this is a great time to be in the oil and gas business. So, I expect that that 1.2 million is fully utilized for the remainder of the year, and that you're going to start to see equipment get pulled off the fence if you can staff it. And that's not going to be easy, but you—you it, 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 know—we'll figure it out, like ourselves and our competitors. They, they, we will figure it out. But I, I think it's going to be slow, okay. which is still sort a of positive
6: Yeah. Now, another question is that, like, you know, the, the service intensity in, in Canada continues to increase, longer laterals, more sand pumped so well, and then I'm assuming when you're doing those things, you're increasing the rate at which you're pumping um, the, the, the factory downhole as well. Now, when all of these things are happening, then the ho- horsepower requirements for well are likely to increase as well, and so your horsepower per crew is going to go up. And uh, so, you know, even with the same number of crews working, you may start to absorb more more horsepower, and then your automation capex, you know, probably goes up as well. So how are, are all of those things kind of uh, tracking, and, and, you know, I would assume that um, you know, for a crew, kind of pricing increases need to be a lot more meaningful just because of that service intensity that's going up.
1: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, everything you said is true, and, and so today's price levels don't work.
6: Thanks, sir. Appreciate the color. Thanks.
0: The next question comes from Cole Pereira with Stifle. Please go ahead.
7: Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. So as we think about the possibility that additional reactivations might be needed in the 2022, so it sounds like ideally if you can contract a return, you would like to add it to four. Um, But maybe in the event that that doesn't occur, would you consider bringing back a, a conventional or a biofuel fuel spread
5: into the market?
1: Yes. But just, you know, given given the focus on emissions and operating efficiencies um by ourselves and our customers and you know just the requirements for the oil and gas industry as a whole to, you know, work towards lower emissions and, you know, a greener overall industry our strong preference would be any time we reactivate equipment that it's reactivated with a Tier Four, you know, natural gas engine. Okay. Then, yes. I guess the other you know the other thing too would be, you know, we we talk only about the pump, but there's a lot of other equipment on location and so we have started to convert some of the support equipment I guess you wouldn't call a blender a support equipment, but we have started to convert some of the non pumps equipment to to run to being electric. and that you know I think that's a better overall solution for Canada is a combination of natural gas fired uh, pumps combined with maybe some of the support equipment running off of electricity. And you know that way you can get enough electricity onto these pads to run that equipment in order to run all of the pumping equipment, you know, to convert it to being full electric is a challenge we don't foresee the industry overcoming anytime soon. So I guess back to the original question, you know, our focus is on lower emissions equipment, whether it's tier four engines on the frack pump or electrifying our our other support equipment.
7: Okay, uh, great. That's helpful. Thanks. And maybe going back to labor shortages, can you just maybe give some additional color on exactly what some of the drivers are? I mean, is it people leaving the energy industry? Is it, you know, different training uh, requirements and regulations or what?
1: It's all of the above. I mean, you know, we its only 10 months ago we laid off 450 people. Right And so those four hundred and fifty people went and found something else to do. You know they're tired of the volatility of this industry in the past five to seven years, and so it's a lot to get them to come back you know we've We've lost their trust um they have to make a living, so you know it's we have to ask very nicely for them to come back, and eventually they're gonna start making demands on us um from a compensation perspective that you know, we will probably have to fulfill as an industry. So it's, it's all of the above. They've left the industry They're They're going to the best opportunities. You know, we're extremely fortunate that we're busy and we've got a very good sort of steady customer base. And so you know, if you're looking for a, a job in the pressure pumping industry, you know, we are their natural first call. Um, because of course they're going to make a, a living and, and, a, and a steady living, and they're going to have some predictability in you know in their monthly earnings. So you know we're in a great position to to get those workers that want to come back into the oil and gas industry, but um, you know a lot of them have left the industry as a whole.
7: Okay, uh, no, that's uh, that's helpful, thanks. Um, I'm just wondering as well as we think about Q3 relative to Q1, can you, I believe in Q1 there were maybe some small gaps in your schedule. Can you just kind of comment on whether you see that at all in Q3 or if you're fairly uh, fully booked? The board books, booked,
1: but there's always rain and stuff that, you know, you, there's always a gap somewhere. It's not, nothing significant get Anything that we can prevent in most cases, you know, because if it, you know, if it, if the path that you're supposed to be on next week gets rained on for three days, I mean, there's just going to be delays.
7: Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. Okay, yeah, great. That's all for me. I'll turn it back. Thanks.
0: <clears throat> the next question comes from Keith Mackey with RBC. Please go ahead.
4: Hi, thanks for taking my question. Uh, I just wanted to start by following up on the, the question about your Q3 revenue EBITDA forecast. Um, assuming that that amount you you kind of talk about, um, you know, Q3 beating Q1 or or matching it, that that is inclusive of any Qs, proceeds. And can do you have a number that you might expect for Q3 that that you might receive? You know, we're not
1: really budgeting Qs anymore. You know, I think if we're taking a Quite a conservative approach. That program is winding down, um, and so our assumptions on Qs are greatly reduced for the second half compared to the
4: first half. It's probably about all the detail I can give you. Got it. Okay, I appreciate that. And uh, just uh, just to follow up on your on your outlook commentary, where you, you mentioned. Customers recognize the the tightening market. Has that translated? In, you know, how has that manifested into into demand? Uh, you mentioned that you've got some visibility into Q3, and then not not a ton beyond that. But have, have there been you know RFPs coming earlier, or are you expecting some some you know uh, startup of any sort of LNG related work coming that that might uh, that might increase your confidence there or just curious as to where that you know where where that comment um, comes
1: from. So uh, we have really good visibility for Q3. Um, you know, with the, you, at this point in the quarter, you I mean, you need to be scheduling the last day of September, um, and we have some visibility into Q4. But you know, of course, as the months as you get out there in the months, it's you know less and less sort of exact date certainty. It's more just general, hey, we expect to to do this many wells in this particular month, etc. You know, some customers are extremely detailed in their scheduling, and they go out way beyond Q4 even. But as a whole, you know, the longer out you look, the further out you look, you know, the less certain your scheduling gets. So there's nothing unusual going from an RFP perspective or from an LNG perspective. I think it's sort of normal visibility for this time of year you know i would say the industry as a whole does feel like it's getting it has gotten considerably better in its long-term planning you know even than sort of a few short years you know even sort of three to five years ago um you know i took a sort of a three-year hiatus from the industry and the the longer-term planning is, is much better now than it was then so that's that's a great help from uh from a, like things like a sand supply perspective and and a people perspective, um, it allows us to, to do you know a better job planning and that planning and logistics coordination usually results in better profitability. So there's nothing unusual happening. There's no scramble for RFPs to you know before prices go up or anything like that. It's you know it's the industry healing itself. Um, you know this time last year there was. Twenty, thirty rigs running, or something like that. You know, um, it's just you know, it's it's slowly but surely warming up.
4: Got it. Thanks for the thanks for the comments, I Appreciate it. That's it for me.
0: The next question comes from Tim Monticello with ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
8: Hey, good morning, guys. I just want to follow up on some of the labor questions. I'm curious as we look into Q1 2022, and you know seasonality would suggest that that should be higher than the second half of this year. Um, how much do you think the activity can increase before labor tightness becomes a real issue? And you're and you're looking at sort of hiring completely green crews. Um, and what's the lead time for training and and a crew today? So we're we're at that point
1: there can be no further increases in activity without additional labor. You know, we've been hiring now for the last two months. Um, you never have a green crew. You know, uh, people new to the industry get sprinkled around with experienced people, you know, for mentoring purposes, mentoring and training purposes. Um, you know, so everybody, you know, we are, we're no different than anybody else with, with with respect to that, you know the training it comes in stages. Um, but you know, there's at least sort of a month's delay in, in in getting a new person into this industry and before they're in the field. And then you know there's ongoing training that they have to come back into the shop for at the training center for. Um, but you know generally, the hiring process is probably the longest delay. You know, we're starting to hire now for what we expect to need in Q4. Just given that it's, you know, given the shortage of, or the lack of interest in our in our sector and the inability to travel around the country as easily as we've had in the past. You know, once, you know, once as these COVID restrictions continue to lift, you know, then we'll get people from Eastern Canada coming back into the industry, which will help alleviate some of our issues, but. You know, right now everybody's fairly cautious with respect to traveling back and
8: forth. I got it. And, um, I mean, there's a growing chorus of, of service companies talking about labor tightness, um, and I'm sure that your, your clients are hearing that as well. Are you starting to get inbounds for, you know, clients that want to lock in equipment for their, their 2022 programs already? Right? Yes
1: you know we we're fortunate that we have a sort of a long term customer base, so we're always in discussions about you know sort of six and twelve months out regardless of what time of year you're 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 in so yeah I mean we our core customers certainly you know we're trying to plan for the first half of twenty twenty two and um to the extent that they can pass on what their plans are they you know they will share that but um you know, there's, as you know, it's budgets need to be approved by boards of directors, etc. before information can be shared. But, you know, we certainly understand the trend is that they're, all of our core customers are getting busier.
8: Okay. And then just the last one for me is, um, you know, you talked about, I guess, the marginal cost of adding labor and, and what the the wants or, or, or requests are from potential new employees in terms of wage increases and potential purchase. Can you speak to that at all? Because I think that's a good guideline for where pricing could go.
1: Well, it's hard to predict. But, I mean, certainly, you know, a 5% increase in the overall cost of labor, whether it's direct day rates or, you know, benefits associated with, with the, with the, uh, you know, the, the employees. You know, we're kind of assuming it's, it's at least 5%.
8: Okay, that's helpful. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
0: This concludes okay. the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Fedora for any closing remarks.
1: Thanks, everyone. The management team at TRICAM will be available throughout the day to take any further questions. Um, I think our phone number is posted on the press release. So uh, if you have any further questions, please call us directly. Thanks again for your interest. The new Super Beats Hard Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for 4 dollars each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.